light and dark, polar opposites. We know one as the absence of the other. And this message continuing our series, Jesus Revealed, we'll see how Jesus sets himself up as the light of the world against the darkness of exclusion and control, particularly as it relates to interactions with vulnerable people, a persecuted woman and a blind man. McGray de Vega, our senior pastor, will unpack this wonderful and inspiring moment for us in his message. And it may be something that we just need to hear, considering that we do live in a world where there is plenty of darkness. Check it out. Let's pray. God, by the light of Jesus, open our eyes to empathy, curiosity, and humility, that we might be generous and compassionate toward others and ourselves. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our journey through the I am statements of Jesus brings us to one of John's favorite images for Jesus. I am the light of the world. It's one of the first things John tells us about Jesus right in chapter one. In Jesus was life and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. So it's no surprise that this is one of the seven I am statements of Jesus. But what is surprising are the two stories that John tells on either side of this statement. The second one, the one in the following chapter, chapter 9, well, that kind of makes sense. It's the story of Jesus healing the blind man, literally giving him light and vision. That one fits the metaphor, right? And we'll get to that one in a bit. But it's the story beforehand in today's scripture reading in chapter 8, the one that sets up Jesus calling himself the light of the world, that's kind of a head scratcher. It doesn't have anything to do with light or vision or sight at all, at least not at first. This story in John 8 has often been referred to as being about the woman caught in adultery, but we forget that it should just as accurately be called the story of the mean Pharisees. Those religious authorities had apprehended a woman who had been caught cheating on her husband. The Pharisees seized this as an opportunity, not simply to punish the woman, but to trap Jesus, their bigger target. So they hauled her into the temple, found Jesus, and began to interrogate him about what should be done about this woman. John describes the scene vividly. The religious authorities stood in a circle like sharks surrounding their prey with sneering eyes and smug faces. And in the middle of their circle were Jesus and the woman. You can imagine the look of fear and guilt in her face. She, she knew she had done wrong. She knew that ancient Hebrew law made her actions punishable by death. Never mind the fact that it takes two to commit adultery. She was on the witness stand. And the Pharisees had her and Jesus right where they wanted them. So the stage was set, the trap had been sprung, and these wolves were ready to pounce. The Pharisees asked Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? That question was the test. It was the trap, the, the no-win situation. 
Which will you choose, Jesus? Follow the law and keep order and discipline and watch this woman die or set this woman free and undermine thousands of years of tradition, the very tradition that have held our people together. Either way, say goodbye to your credibility and your reputation. Which is it, Jesus? Which do you choose? And that's when Jesus offered the most unusual response. Instead of saying a single word, he stooped down and began writing something on the ground. That was his answer, his defense. And what is it that he wrote on the ground? We have no idea. To which we would say, that's terrible storytelling, John. Would it have killed you to tell us what Jesus wrote? I mean, you really missed a great opportunity here, a great marketing opportunity, because whatever he said could have gone viral throughout Palestine. Imagine the t-shirts, bumper stickers, memes. Tell us, John, what did he write? But John doesn't tell us. Instead, Jesus stood straight up and spoke. Let the one without sin cast the first stone. And then he went back down to continue writing. What a weird response. But maybe it's not as important what Jesus wrote on the ground as it is why he wrote on the ground. The great professor of preaching, Anna Carter Florence, describes a class where she and her students were trying to unpack the reason Jesus wrote on the ground in John 8. She said that sometimes it was helpful for her to stage the scene, to, to block the characters to see how the story played out visually. So she asked for some volunteers. Two of them played Jesus and the woman. The others encircled them in the role of the Pharisees. And then they read aloud the story. And when they got to the part where Jesus stooped to the ground to start scribbling, here's what they realized. For those people who were playing the Pharisees, they discovered that at the moment Jesus stooped down, they were each now able to fully see the eyes of all the other Pharisees in the circle. Until then, they were focusing on Jesus. But as soon as Jesus decentered himself from the action, literally ducking out of the way of people's view, they were each now more fully aware of the eyes and faces of everyone in the circle, along with the woman herself. And that's when Jesus stood back up and said, let any one of you without sin cast the first stone. <laughs> Brilliant move, Jesus. Turns out it didn't matter what he wrote because what he really wanted to do was draw their attention to where it needed to be at the sins that each of us carry, which give us no right to condemn or scorn another human being. And one by one, the Pharisees, speechless, peeled away from the circle. So in a way, Jesus was shining a light on the human condition. Jesus shines the light on the darkness that exists within each one of us, calling us to repentance and confession so that in being forgiven by God, we can forgive one another. The story concludes with Jesus asking, woman, where are they? Is there no one to condemn you? 
No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, the Savior responded. Go, and from now on, don't sin anymore. And that's when he turned to the disciples and to us and said, I am the light of the world. He is the light that exposes the darkness of sin in your life and mine and calls us to repent before God and to forgive one another. Then to punctuate the point, we then get to the story of the man born blind in chapter 9. And by the time we get there, it kind of feels anticlimactic. I mean, Jesus has already called himself the light of the world, right? So we know from the moment that we meet the blind man that Jesus was going to heal him. It's what someone who is the light of the world would do. And maybe that's why John spends less time describing how Jesus actually healed the blind man of his blindness, because that's not the part that's interesting here. What's interesting is what happened after he was healed and who we discover is there again, <laughs> surrounding the man, circling him like sharks. It's our old friends, the Pharisees. They clearly had not learned a thing in chapter eight because apparently Jesus broke a rule when he gave the man his sight. Jesus healed him on the Sabbath, the day of rest, the day when you weren't supposed to work. And clearly doing a miracle involves some work. So they circled the man and his family. And the Pharisees began the interrogation. Who healed you? And what were you guilty of that you were born blind? They even barked at his parents. What were your sins, mom and dad, that caused your son to be born blind? They had assumed that his disability was sinful or that the way he was born was incompatible with the law. And after peppering him and his family with questions and getting none of the answers they wanted, they did what religious hypocrites always do. They threw the guy out of the community, just tossed him away. And that's when Jesus found the man again, just the two of them. Just, just like Jesus and the woman in chapter eight, we find Jesus and this man in chapter nine in a private conversation. You can imagine this man weeping, his vision blurred again, only because of the tears in his eyes, until he hears Jesus ask him, do you know who I am? I am the son of God. And with these words, the man collapsed to the ground in unbridled worship and joy, and he said the words that John would want any of us to say, Lord, I believe. And this all leads to the one final exchange in these two stories. It's a fitting end because it is in this moment that the Pharisees show up one more time in today's sermon. It's just Jesus and the Pharisees, Batman and the Joker, Superman and Lex Luthor. Jesus must have been thinking, we meet again, my old nemeses. It's been at least a chapter since we last met. Where you guys been? And when will you guys ever learn? And that's when the Pharisees say these words that close out our sermon today. They ask Jesus in John chapter 9, verse 40, Are you saying we're blind too? <sighs> it is much easier to point out the sins in other people 
than it is to identify the sins in yourself. The darkness within us is much too thick, the vision much too blurry for us to see our sins for ourselves sometimes. And eradicating it is just as hard. What we need to address the Pharisaic tendency in each of us is light. A light that shines within our own darkness. A light that the darkness cannot overcome. What we need is the life of Jesus alive in us. For in his life is the light of the world. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the light of Jesus, which shines deeply into places in our lives that we would much rather conceal and even ignore. Thank you for your grace, which works to make us more like Jesus, to reveal the light of your love within us. Move us to confession and repentance and strengthen us to overcome our judgment and condescension of others. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I have been in certain situations in my life where grace could not have been an option. There have been many times when the projected outcome would have looked a lot like this woman from the story that John tells us about. But something gave me inspiration and a realization that it doesn't have to be this way. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world. Have you ever stopped to realize the simple difference between light and darkness? In the dark, things are hard to see. It's hard to move around. You may hear things, but you don't know exactly where they're coming from. In the darkness, we become lethargic and want to be still. We tend to assume what's in front of us, even though it may not be there. In the light, there is movement, action. We see things more clearly. Our direction and all of our senses have apparent clarity. In the light, we are awake. We are motivated and we find life. When Jesus proclaims that he is the light of the world, I remind myself of these differences and then how Jesus is the difference. Whether we need to seek forgiveness from others, to ourselves, or from God, we can rely on Jesus being the light of the world. Thanks for listening to this message. You can find reflection questions and next steps in the notes below. We'll see you next time.